Blog Talk Radio. Tennessee. Hope everybody is doing well. Uh, we got Mr. Terry T.B. Brown jumping on the line. Just want to see how everything is with you as well, sir. Oh, uh, you know, things have been better, but uh, I appreciate all the love I've received from, from folks all over the place uh, about my dad. Uh, he has moved into to hospice care, so we're just kind of hanging and waiting, but uh, the old man keeps fighting, so uh, I wouldn't expect anything different, but I definitely appreciate the, the kind words and, and tweets and, and things from everybody. Uh, it definitely makes me feel good. Yeah, and I was, because uh, I didn't know if you were going to hop on, and that was totally understandable, so I was just fixing to tell everybody to do the same thing that they already had been doing. But uh, it's good to hear your voice and have you on. Uh, definitely sorry about Mr. Brown, and we've all been thinking about him down here, as has everybody else that you know and uh, come into contact with personally or social media-wise. Uh, the same thing. Everybody is definitely thinking about the original Mr. Brown. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been touched uh, by folks. Uh, what really is, is touching is the people that I, I haven't met. It's just the people through social media, you know, Twitter. You know, a lot of bad thing comes out of social media, but but it is a tight knit family uh, that you develop on there, uh, especially the folks in the Big Blue Nation. So uh, again, I've just felt nothing but uh, but warmth and, and everything from the from the comments I received. Uh, but like I said, he's 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 still fighting. He's he's doing uh, what I expected him to do because he is the original uh, Mr. Brown. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll continue to keep him in our thoughts. Uh, happy to have you on for these next couple of hours, and we'll have fun like we always do. Uh, and it was bukus of stuff to talk about. I was you know, going to attempt to drive the ship by myself and hopefully keep people in tune and, you know, there will hopefully going to be a riot because you weren't on. I was, I was breaking for that too. Cause that, you know, that could have happened as well. Like when TV's not on, I'm not listening. I'm going to turn it off. But I was, you know, I was, I was bracing for that. Oh, <laughs> uh, but since we were on last week, it started out to me, you know, Thursday and Friday and stuff like that. It, it looked like, this show was just going to be 
uh-oh, just the, that dead summer show where finally all we got is baseball. We're kind of going to be scraping and, you know, digging and trying our best to find stuff to, to last and, and fill the show. But then, you know, it kind of steamrolled, and it turned out to, I mean, if we get everything that I wrote down, talked about, that'll be something to squeeze all of it in. They just, you know, steadily they kept being more and more stories, more and more stuff. Tons of stuff on the U.K. front, and I was going to start with that um, because Thursday and on into the weekend, Jamal Murray uh, was doing his thing for Team Canada, and I think, you know, it kind of eased a lot of the angst amongst U.K. fans that were kind of tense, even though it wasn't really necessary to feel that way, uh, worried about this upcoming season. Still not comfortable with seeing other recruits pick other schools, uh, the kid that went to Cal, the Simmons kid that went to LSU, so on and so forth. And then, you know, Jamal Murray just goes and shows out in these two games. So I think that kind of quelled some of the fears of those who were just wanting to be uptight, just for being uptight's sake. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, and I said this a couple of years ago when Cal had the four or five straight number one classes. You know, I said that the time that we are number two or three, which is the current situation, you know, the time we're two or three, people are going to lose their minds and talk about how Cal has lost it. And it's, I mean, I don't think people understand how ridiculous it is to even be the top five for as many consecutive years as Cal has been. It's, it's, he's become a machine. So a lot of people put the focus on the recruiting class, not having in the back of their mind, hey, Poitras is coming back next year. And I have been on the record as being a Poitras fan since he stepped on campus, and I'm betting the farm he's going to beast this year. But you got Euless coming back who's going to get, you know, 30 minutes a game. And, and there's other recruits coming in. Uh, but Murray is going to be that guy that's going to push him back over the top. They're going to be right back in the national conversation again. And that's so unusual. Uh, when, when you think about it, besides 2013, that off season, they have been in that championship discussion every single year. And it's bizarre to think that after a team goes 38-1, and they could very well be the favorites for the title next year. I mean, think about that. That is just, what? Losing seven guys? What? Are you, I'm sounding like, I'm sounding like Coach Cal, but it's like, are you, are you kidding me with this? And, and then for Cal to say that 2016 may be the best class he's ever had at Kentucky, whoa. I know he's used to hyperbole, but he's never said anything like that. And if he thinks he can get a class that can rival the other classes he's had, come on. Just what are we what are we worried about? I'm I'm more worried about an asteroid hitting Earth than I am about Cal not being prepared to, to get uh, the University of Kentucky deep into the tournament. Yeah, and that at worst it was twenty thirteen when you still had, you know, 
the cream of the crop of that class. Uh, it didn't come together great, and then the Nerlens injury just, you know, sunk the battleship, so to speak. But, you know, it's safe to say that team still probably makes a Sweet 16, um, you know, with Archie Goodwin and Mays and Nerlens and, and that crew. Uh, and that's the the low point since he's been there, and it was still a top class. So, like you said, like you 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 kind of went Reggie Miller, you know when he's when he's calling games on TNT, he gets that high pitched. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what it kind of sounds. <laughs> that's what it kind of sounds. So if that is the bottom, you don't the you're just spoiled and wanting to fuss. If if you're fussing right now, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, he, he, the the pieces are coming together, and we all we knew that Murray was good, but to see him on this national stage against or international stage, excuse me, against, against top competition, my goodness! I mean, it's a it's an overabundance of riches, and like we've always said. The guys Kyle missed out on, and I'm not talking about some of these other recruits for this class, uh, he he brings in great guys. He brings in top players and top uh, young men as well. So uh, I'm excited. It's hard to not jump the gun and start talking about basketball, uh, which will be here soon, but we've got a lot of other sports at the University of Kentucky to be excited about starting with football and women's soccer and men's soccer and volleyball. There's, I mean, it's, everybody I've talked to uh, involved with, with sports across the board, they're all excited. Coach Lipset is excited for his season to start uh, because I'm, I've just got a feeling that next year uh, is going to be a very big year uh, for University of Kentucky Athletics. Uh I'm talking bowl game for football, uh, another deep tournament run uh, for men's basketball. I'm thinking that uh, the women and Coach Mitchell finally get over the hump to the women's final four. I, I'm excited, and it, it's a great time to be uh, clad in blue. And and let's not forget the track team as well, uh, getting love for what they did uh, with the national runner finish, but Individually, uh, Kendra Harrison is up for the Bowerman Trophy, which is uh, for the top male and female track athletes. And, oh, you know, ho-hum, just the likes of Jackie Joyner, Percy, and Gail Devers were tweeting about her today in UK track, talking about what a star she is and the potential she has. And if you haven't went to the Bowerman.org, go on there and, and vote for Kendra uh, as she's a finalist for that trophy. But to have elite track legends singing the praises of a U.K. track and field athlete, I mean, that is big time for Coach Floreal and big time for Kendra Harrison as well. Definitely. Like I said, it's just a great time uh, to be a Wildcat. In all of the the nervous Nellies that want to say the sky is falling, uh, it's not. It, it really is not falling uh, anywhere. Uh, in fact, everything is looking is looking up. Uh, so, I, like I said, I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, there have been a lot of great news, a lot of great recruiting news uh, on the, on the football front 
this last week as well. I mean, it's just exciting. Yeah, and and everybody knows you and I aren't, you know, 24-7-365 recruiting guys. We're more of the uh, – we've we heard a little bit about you. We know you got a decision to make. If you pick Kentucky, we'll see you when you get here. That's kind of, you know, the camp I'm in. This might be the most recruiting we ever talk on the show without having a Brian Eldridge, a Patrick Loney-type expert on as a guest because we already talked about Murray. And then the the three guys that committed for football for the 2017 class headlined by Russ Yeast, son of Craig Yeast, as well as the other two guys yesterday, um, and, you know, Coach Stoops is just continuing to roll. The 2017 class is ranked, you know, top five nationally right now, ahead of Alabama in the SEC. Uh, so, like you said, it's exciting. And there's so much recruiting going on that you and I are talking recruiting. We're leading off with recruiting, basketball and football recruiting, Vinny and Terry, not recruiting guys per se. <laughs> well, and, and – uh you know, like Kyle Tucker, uh, he talks about football recruiting. Stars can, in, in that rankings, can get uh, a little uh, confusing. There's not a lot of consistency. But his thing, and which I agree with, is who are you beating for the recruits? When you get a kid, who else is showing interest? And and nationally, with Kentucky pulling in some guys that. Uh, are showing interest from some of the top programs in the country. Uh, that, that's that's exciting to me because if they can do that with the on-the-field product not being quite right now what we want, imagine if they get a little bit of momentum. So it's so it's exciting. You know, even Coach Lipschitz and the women's soccer team, they're bringing in some top recruits that are fighting off the Stanford's uh, of the women's soccer world. So uh, there's an enthusiasm in the, in the entire department that, like I said, the next year, the year after, I'm I'm excited about that. Absolutely. Uh, 845-277-9373. If you're listening and want to give us a call, feel free to do so. At Cast Talk Wednesday on Twitter, at T Brown underscore 80, at Vinny Hardy. Also check the Facebook page, Cast Talk Wednesday, all those ways you can interact with the show. Um, definitely uh, reason to be excited uh, with, with all the things that are that are taking place. Um, like you said, it's, it's, it's rolling the, the momentum there across the board. And once again, that goes back to the work that the coaches of all respective programs are doing, uh, Mitch Barnhart, Dwayne TV, uh, all joint efforts to not only – Elevate programs, but then maintain them once they get them elevated. So I mean, hats off to everybody. Well, and a lot of it has to do with uh, facilities as well. You know, there's been a lot of fanfare with the renovations to Commonwealth Stadium, as it should be, uh, because I thought that Commonwealth Stadium, while nice, was a little behind the the times a little bit. But with those upgrades and with the uh, new softball stadium, the Bell Complex for soccer, and uh, then you I saw where there's going to be some changes to Rupp, uh, Big Bertha, the big uh, sound system there, the big white sound system 
at center court, I understand, is going to be retired. And they're going to get rid of the big red vents to go crisscross on the top of the arena. So there's yeah. going to be some changes there. So uh, it's definitely exciting. Uh, and it, it starts, basically, it starts with Mitch Barnhart and his vision for the university. And facilities, but he's bringing the right coaches in for the job. He's bringing in coaches not not only know their X's and O's, but but they're building their brand, and and we know how that how that is. I mean, I can't think of a better uh, coach fan base pairing than uh, Coach Cal. Uh, but then you look at what Stoops is doing. And as we talked with, with Freddie Maggard before, I don't think a lot of people understand kind of where the football program was when he took over. But he's kind of put on his hard hat, and him and his coaches have, have gone to work, and they've really got a lot of excitement in the football program that we haven't seen for a while. And it, even the non-revenue sports, you know, Coach Mitchell for the uh, women's basketball team, his big blue uh, Big Blue Madness shenanigans are, are, are legendary at this point. So uh, there's just a lot of, of things going on good uh, within the department. Absolutely. And um, they deserve all the credit that they're getting. And they're, it's good they're seeing um, results from all the hard work they're putting in. Um, so definitely, definitely. And uh, we'll continue to talk a little bit of that as well uh, when we get back. We'll take a little break now and catch our breath real quick. Listen to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. Proud and happy to have TBN and on the show with us this evening. Uh, have a little bit of fun and, and cut up like we do and talk Big Blue Nation, UK sports, uh, like we do, as well as all the other stuff that's going on as well. Uh, we'll get to his Orioles dominating my Braves, and that will come up at some point in the show. We'll tease it now, and I will go ahead and, you know, my tail's tucked between my legs. See what happens in this last game. Uh, that, plenty more national sports, but we'll be back with some more U.K. sports as well. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
back to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Hope everybody's Wednesday is going well. Happy to have TB on with us. Enjoying talking UK sports across the board. Coach Lipsitz, close personal friend of the Browns, Big Miss and Little Miss, TB and the lovely Mr. TB. Uh, all y'all have grown close, and he was able to come on our show. We enjoyed that. Like you said, a big year for him. Uh, talked about the track team, uh, baseball and softball, and you know, football as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned recruiting. Um, Coach Stoops kind of started with, with Russ Yeast, and uh, no doubt the two of us can date ourselves just by hearing that name. We all remember Craig Yeast putting in work with Tim Couch. Uh, back in the late 90s over there, uh, a friend of mine uh, here, a big Tennessee fan, he's my age, but uh, was just talking about, you know, what Tennessee's doing in recruiting, what Kentucky's doing in recruiting. And I said, you remember Craig East? And he was like, you know, Tony Wallace, Tony Wallace, my buddy. He said, that was, he was number three, right? I said, yeah. He said, he said that's the dude that almost beat us by himself <laughs> that one year. So all these years later, Craig used to still <laughs> made an impression uh, on my man Tony, who's a big UT fan, with you know all the heart that he played with catching passes uh, and doing work for UK. And now Russ is coming in 2017, and our friend Kyle Tucker put out an article. I saw him tweet out how he could play wide receiver or DB, whichever one he chooses, you know, full-time, he could still play the other spot possibly in packages. So if he's a wide receiver, he could come in and play DB, like a nickel package situation, dime package situation, something like that, vice versa. If he's a DB, he'd come in uh, – and packages and play receivers. So that is some versatility to look forward to. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, make him feel Pops' shoes right off the bat because, I mean, we all remember Craig's career. Uh, but Russ is a big-time athlete, and, you know, he's got the pedigree, uh, and he's coming to Kentucky like his dad did. But I thought that was neat that he could semi-go both ways when he does get to UK, uh, according to Cal Tucker. Yeah, shades of uh, Dion in his Dallas days, kind of wherever wherever they need him. And, uh, again, uh, we are dating ourselves because I remember Craig East. I mean, we, we, we were there when he was there. So uh, for yeah. him to have a son that's being recruited, that, that's really dating – uh, ourselves, but it's exciting, and, and that's what you want to see. Uh, you you want to see some some legacy type players, you know, come uh, and, and sign with the Cats. Uh, even though he had offers from other places, it's definitely something that you want to see. Yeah, so I thought that was that was cool. Like I said, he was the headliner, if you want to call that. You know, just be based on the family name. Uh, but there's also Mac Jones, a quarterback out of Florida that commits, and then two Ohio guys, Michael Warren and James Hudson, both out of Toledo. So, uh, as our friend George Massey said, you know, that, that makes Anthony White proud because him being an Ohio guy, you got these guys from Ohio. Russ, he's from Ohio as well. But 
Coach Stoops has, uh, you know, been on a mission to make Ohio an extension of Kentucky since he's been here, and this is just more examples of that. So they're out-of-state guys, but they're kind of in-state guys based on uh, the approach that Coach Stoops and his staff are taking in regards to the state of Ohio. Exactly. That's been a fertile ground that Kentucky uh, has ignored uh, for a while, and it's good to see Coach Stoops uh, and company really, really mining that ground. Uh, I saw a tweet from Kirk Herbstreet. Some, he was responding to somebody asking about uh, Kentucky recruiting in Ohio, and, and his thoughts are the same as everybody. You know, one of the things should have been doing it all along, you know, and that's what's going to help boost their depth and, and kind of get them out of the cellar of the SEC. So it's pretty exciting. Most definitely. And like you mentioned, the excitement is building. Uh, the season opener is right around the corner, just a little more than a month away. September the 5th, uh, the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns will come to the new Commonwealth Stadium uh, to play Kentucky in the season opener. And our guest who will be on in just a little bit more than an hour is a former Raging Cajun himself, Emory Hunt was a running back for Louisiana Lafayette back in the early 2000s. He does a lot of media work now. He's a coach. He's a motivational speaker. He's everywhere and and is doing uh, all sorts of big things. Um, Football Game Plan is his handle on Twitter. Emory will be on at 7 to uh, just kind of give us a little bit of a look at the Raging Cajuns at Louisiana Lafayette, uh, his alma mater, kind of give us the perspective from their their side, give us an idea of who we want to kind of keep an eye on for them, what their offense looks like, what their coach is like, that kind of thing. So we get a little bit of uh, the Raging Cajuns side of things and then talk about, you know, his website and all the media stuff he does and just devoted to football all the way around. So looking forward to having Emory. Uh, at 7.30. So um, that's on the way. Uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that that's coming. Um, of course, we got the Tom Brady stuff. You want to hit that now, just a few minutes from now. I just want to go ahead and give props to those Oreos. I mean, we can definitely talk Tom Brady in a minute because that's dominating with his suspension being uphill for now. But uh, my Braves came into Baltimore – Losers of two out of three to the Cardinals. Uh, I looked at the schedule uh, because it's one of those seasons. It's, it's rebuilding. They trade away a lot of players. They're trying to get good again in a couple years when they open a new stadium in Cobb County. Uh, it's not a completely white flag job, but it's it's not like a win now year either. It's just one of those kind of eh. Here we are. This is here it is. So I saw, okay, they headed to Baltimore, and of course, everybody listened to the show. They knew that you committed to the Oreos three or four weeks ago before the All Star break. And, you know, we'll, outside of Kentucky, we have head to head meetings with our teams. Lakers, Rockets meet a lot, Cowboys and 49ers every couple of years or so. Uh, but this will be the first meeting between the Braves and Orioles since you were a fan of theirs. And I turned it on Monday night. I was up late. Turned it on. It was the 11th inning. High game, one to one. 
Freddie Gonzalez goes to the bullpen, brings in Luis Avalon, left-handed reliever. Uh, Matt Weeders or somebody like that is batting for Baltimore, and Avalon doesn't even get his arm loose. He threw like four, maybe five pitches, and Weeders tagged him with a big walk-off shot to win it for Baltimore 2-1. to one. I thought, boy, that's that's lovely. Perfect timing to come in and get that. Uh, I thought about you. I didn't know if you were watching or not. I was like, wow. Because I knew I was going to talk about this on the show with Braves Orioles because these are our squads. I was like, well, maybe, you know, tomorrow we can even things up and, you know, get back in this series. Need to get some road wins in the worst way. And they jump out to a 2 nothing lead. Uh, Chris Davis, who went crazy, I think, year before last, hit 40 or 50 home runs, hits two bombs last night. Uh, Baltimore comes from behind and wins 7-3. So they've already won the series. It's already over. It's a three-game series. And now Baltimore is going for a sweep tonight. Atlanta's just hoping to salvage one win uh, before they leave Baltimore. But, yeah, hats off to your guys taking care of business these first two games of the series. Yeah, well, I, I hope they get it turned around. The the Yankees seem to be trying to pull away with the East, but uh, but I think the Orioles the, uh, got to build up a little bit of momentum because uh, this is this is that tough stretch when you get those dog days where you really got to uh, dig in. So hopefully they can do that. Uh, I'm definitely uh, hoping that myself. I, I didn't say anything to you about. Uh, uh, about the games, but I, I'm definitely keeping up with uh, with what they're doing. Yeah, and and both of them are kind of middle of the pack in their respective divisions, but Baltimore's division is a lot tougher than Atlanta's division, and <laughs> Atlanta meeting Baltimore head-to-head, that, you know, Baltimore is proving to be the better team in these first two games. And like you said, as far as Baltimore turning it around, at the All-Star break, that division was just jumbled up, jam-packed. Even the Red Sox, who haven't really Mm -hmm. done a lot all year, they were only six games out. Uh, And Baltimore and Tampa Bay and Toronto and all them were three or four games behind the Yankees. But now, like you said, and I hate to see it, the Yankees are kind of separated a little bit right off the bat. So I'm hoping Baltimore – or anybody, Tampa Bay, anybody can kind of reel them back in and and make it a race again uh, because they're up six or seven games already just kind of in the blink of an eye. You know, they they got hot right out of the gate in the second half and that's kind of separated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully uh, we can see that, uh, see the, the Orioles kind of take advantage of that and where it's not the Yankees, but uh, loving, hating, whatever. Alex Rodriguez has kind of turned it on uh, the last couple of games uh, with his home run barrage. So, uh, you know, he's going to have that big asterisk. Uh, kind of follow him around forever. But he's he's doing some amazing things at, at age forty. So, kind of got to tip your hat there as well. Yeah, and. Fair or not, I mean it's his own fault, but nobody's going to look at it. With a straight face, everybody's gonna come, you know, look at him sideways and like, well, you know, huh, you know, he's forty and all, putting up these numbers. See what A. Rod's doing, but and it's self-inflicted. 
but I mean, at his age, with his past, to still be, you know, and to have missed all of last year too, uh, the, the skepticism will never go away. Yeah, and 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 that's gonna that's gonna hang over him. That that's that's never gonna go away. You know, and that's a, a perfect segue to the Brady situation. Uh, no matter what happens in the courts, and, and from what it sounded like today, Kraft and the Patriots, they're, they're going all in, and they are going to, um, you know, take this to the court system and let that be adjudicated that way. But no matter what happens, Brady and the court of public opinion, uh I, I think he's, you know, I think he's down a notch, and it's all self-inflicted. Uh, whether or not you believe he destroyed the the cell phone, as the commissioner said, or or, or whatnot, the the timeline is just shady. Uh, about the same time the investigator asked to see his phone, that's when the phone was destroyed or. Stopped working or whatever. It's just a timing thing uh, for me. So um, there's just a lot of moving parts in my mind, and that we've talked about this before. The the Patriots don't get the benefit of the doubt because we know that they they play fast and loose with the rules. Are they a great franchise? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, four Super Bowls and six trips, you know, in the last 12, 14 years, whatever it has been. Uh, yeah, that's 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 amazing. That you can't shake your head at that. But then it's like, well, why are we why are we cutting corners? Uh, the one thing that jumped out to me with with Kraft's uh, speech uh, today was he was so indignant about the NFL and he had more faith in the NFL. And my only thing was, don't you remember Spaggy, the, the tapes the NFL confiscated, that no one outside of the NFL offices saw what was actually on the tapes? We yeah. took Commissioner Goodell's word that it was just minimal stuff that other kind of teams do. So for me, that was a huge leap. You know, that uh, – uh, I think this whole thing with the the flake gate bounces out spy gate. I, I think that's this how it works. Uh, I know that the Patriots are going to go for the big scorched earth and try to take everything down, but I think Goodell's got 31 other owners that are tired of the Patriots shenanigans, to be honest with you. And I don't think he makes this move unless he takes the temperature of the room and knows he's got the support of the other billionaires to, to hold the Patriots accountable and, and, and break this up. Uh, you know, the little things they've done, have they been uh, totally uh, just individually bad things? No, but this is a pattern, and I think Goodell is, is trying to break the pattern. Yeah, and you know, he, he, Goodell and Kraft were just – um, just way too tight anyway. Uh, and now they're trying to, you know, well, you know, the rift is there due to them being on opposite sides of this issue. But 
the little buddy buddy stuff that that had taken place with the Spygate stuff, with the destroying, like you said, it was a team issue back in '07 with Spygate, but evidence still gets destroyed. Now it's an individual situation with Brady, but still, once again, stuff is getting destroyed. And who always destroys cell phones? I mean, you know, you like Mark Brunel, I think he's on the NFL Live. He said, you know, I go through the cell phone. I, I put the old, I got the old one in a drawer somewhere. You know, I don't make a point that, oh, I got to destroy this phone. Uh, I think I got a, yeah. a phone or two in a junk drawer somewhere. Nobody just goes and, and just <laughs> destroys them like that. And then, you know, he ended up getting caught in the lie with saying that he did when he didn't and it was when it wasn't and, and all that anyway. And, and, and that's the that's the thing. I, I, I'm kind of with him on, you know, celebrities, uh, famous folks need to take extra precautions with their phones. But if you put it in a drawer in your house, to me that's a pretty good that's a pretty good place to put it. You know, that's it's not like he's turning it in, you know, to one of those shops getting a hundred dollars for his iPhone six or whatever. Uh so there's just a lot of things that just don't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah. and what we're gonna see, uh the Patriots are are going to go all in, and they're going to try to take on the league, but the league always wins. That's one thing we've seen historically, the league wins. And uh, my understanding is uh, when they go to court, it's not going to be so much about the punishment. It's going to be did Goodell do everything he was supposed to do and and do everything by the book, uh, which which is a whole little bit shakier than um, uh, just going saying, is it right or wrong, is four games too much? I, I think, in my mind, a signal was sent to the Patriots, knock it off. You, you're, you're good enough not to do this. You know, I, I think had it been the Bengals and Andy Dalton that had messed with ball, maybe it's a two-game uh, suspension for Dalton, maybe – the the Bengals get a uh, uh, a draft pick, but it's nothing along the lines with the Patriots. But it seems like every couple of years, their names keep coming up in this kind of bush league stuff, and they need to knock it off. I mean, that's the that's the bottom line. Yeah, and if you know, did he go e- too easy on them back with the Spygate stuff? Maybe, you know, there have been some inconsistencies with a whole bunch of different disciplinary situations in the NFL. Yes, um, uh, somebody mentioned today that Greg Hardy, uh, you know, now defensive end for my Dallas Cowboys, no relation that I know of, is going to be serving the same length of a suspension as Tom Brady and you look at what Hardy did and what Brady did and it's you know it's not even the same you know continent of one another when you display the football and then the severity of the domestic stuff that Hardy uh, was was guilty of of, um, acting out but then when you look at New England with the fact that this is a pattern this is a trend that's always something going on uh, with the Patriots, like like Mr. Jones and Friday talking about smoking, you always got some stuff going. 
You always got something going on. You take yourself home. You take your behind home. You always got some stuff going. <laughs> it's always some stuff going with the Patriots. So do you to be kind of overcorrect, overcorrect and drop the hammer when maybe it should have been done eight years ago? Yeah, but it is what it is, you know. They need to quit tripping and, and, and always, like it, you said, playing fast and loose with the rules. It, it, and that's the thing is, yeah, okay, we can say the in domestic violence, we can all agree that is huge and that the hammer needs to drop on those guys. Uh, my only issue with the domestic violence and the Adrian Peterson and a lot of the other things that Goodell has done is, He's making it up as he goes, and that's when he's going to get himself into trouble. I think a lot of folks saw that then when he was crashing down hard on people and and whatnot. Uh, You you need to – any good manager knows you need to write these rules down. You need to – so people know what to expect. Yes, you can look at things on a case-by-case basis, but you need some kind of framework by which to uh, – where you have, a, like, a baseline. And, you know, the NBA, you know, they know, hey, after you know, 17, 18 technical fouls, hey, you're missing a game. Or during an altercation, you step one foot on the floor, letter of the law, you're gone. Uh, baseball yeah. has, has similar kind of, of rules where I think had Goodell, when he started becoming the tough sheriff, had he written down – and, and collectively bargained some of these, okay, if you do X, here's the penalty. I think that gives him a different leg to stand on. Um, but looking at the, the Patriots, uh, not just for deflating the footballs, but as being repeat offenders, I've got zero problem with, with kind of where they are and, and what they've uh, – and what – They've done, and I I would dare to say that if you looked at the other 31 uh, owners in the league, I, I, w- I would say that maybe 25 of them would say, yes, the Patriots need to stop. This, a signal needs to be sent. Uh, we may not have the spoke, smoking gun, but you all need to stop messing around. It's basically what it is. Because uh, what's not in dispute is the fact that the NFL's chain of custody for the game balls was broken. Once the officials look at the game balls, they're on the field. They they can't be altered in any way. We know, and no one is disputing that the Patriots employee took those balls into the bathroom. All the game balls. That's not a dispute. And what the Patriots are saying to us is there's nothing to see here. Nothing happened. Yeah. Because it, it's not as much as it, – it, yeah, it's, it's not that they're saying that Brady didn't have anything to do with it. Kraft today said the Patriots organization did nothing wrong. That is – so you're telling me, Mr. Kraft, that your employee took the game balls, broke the NFL's chain of custody – and, and and nothing. He just took him in there for what? He took thirteen, twelve, thirteen game balls in there for what? Now is it enough? 
uh, in a court of law. But no, the NFL operates on probable cause. You know, they they, they don't. It, it's it's protecting the shield. It's the integrity of the game, and, and that's enough combined with Spygate to uh, say, okay, you, you as an or, this is an organizational thing. You know, the, they want to believe that's to believe that. These two low-level equipment guys are making these decisions on their own. Are, are you kidding me with that? That that's that's not the, the equipment guys didn't just decide. Hey, this is the, we're going to do this for the AFC Championship game. Somebody told them to do it. It's that simple. It, it, and these, what I'm saying, are not crazy steps. These are logical steps that a reasonable person would say. Why did he take 13 footballs into the bathroom against NFL rules? Hmm. And these are the same folks that did Spygate, and we don't really know what happened with the with the Spygate. We were told it's okay. You don't have to be uh, a, a rocket scientist to kind of make these leaps uh, that people have leapt to. And if the Patriots didn't do anything wrong in this deflectgate organization, let's say they didn't, then, well, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Either way, they said they didn't today. They said that, you know, that's their stance. Then Tom Brady's like, man, they are, they are throwing me all up under the bus. You know, they're they're stepping away from Tom and just saying, well, you know, get get him. <laughs> Like on the on the Three Stooges when when the king says who wants to date my daughter, and you know it's an ugly princess, and Mo and Larry step back to make it look like Curly stepped forward. That's that's kind of like what the <laughs> what the Patriots are doing right now. If that's the case, you know where hey, uh, we didn't tell that tenant to do it, so that only leaves Brady. So, so it's, it's kind of either way. It's it, you know Brady's got to be like, hey, what, what, what are y'all doing? It, it, but you know somebody is like you say. It's not just Joe Ball guy. It's not. It's not Ball attendant. You know, he was given the command and he was just doing what he was told by whoever told him. It, it, and, and that's the thing, you know, because remember initially with Spygate was we don't know who told these guys to record. I mean, it, it's – it's. are you kidding me? And the way football teams are set up, football coaches are, particularly in the NFL, want to control every single thing with the team, everything. They, they want to keep up with players, everything. Uh, the great 49er coach Bill Walsh wrote a book on how to build a successful franchise, and it even went to – how concession stand employees should operate. That is how detailed these guys operate. I mean, that that's the way they – and for them to, to kind of float this idea that they've got rogue employees that do what they want to do, like, oh, I don't know what Tom Brady does. I don't know what these equipment guys do. It, it's – and I watched this last night, one of my favorite movies. It is uh, A Few Good Men. And you know, the scene where Jessup, uh, Colonel Jessup, being played by Jack Nicholson, is being grilled by Tom Cruise. You know, everybody knows you can't handle the truth. But the the key uh, where the, where everything turns is where Tom Cruise says, "If your rules are to be followed, and everybody does what you say, then why 
did Santiago need to be transferred? And that's the way it is with with Bill Belichick and, and, and Robert Kraft. You guys are the law in New England. Why would anybody, Tom Brady included, run the risk of upsetting you or doing something behind your back? That's not the way it operates. That's it. So after all that, the NFL basically just went in there and told Tom, like like Lumberg on office space, uh, yeah, we're we're gonna uphold that suspension, and we're gonna need you to come in for your your regularly scheduled regular season appearance in in week six at Indianapolis. Thanks. So you know. <laughs> You can you can send out those first four just like we talked about. We're, we're gonna uphold that suspension. <laughs> so, so I mean, and I'm not shedding any tears either. <laughs> and, and that's the thing when you see the commissioner of your league hold the uh, the, the prime. I guess the the face of the league, the Patriots have been the face of the NFL, you know, current Super Bowl champions. And when you see them get disciplined and and that hard line, then the other 31 teams know, hey, we we can't do that. So I think it was a message sent to the Patriots, the message sent to the other teams. And I'm no fan of Goodell. He has dropped the ball. You know, with the Ray Rice suspension being two games initially, that's dropping the ball. <laughs> yeah. There have been other things where you say, but on this, I, I, I can't get upset about it because, well, you know, other other coaches, uh, other players, other teams haven't done this, haven't got caught doing this. And yeah. uh, for people to say, because, you know, the sports guy, Bill Simmons, formerly of ESPN, has been on his little soapbox. Uh, well, you know, basically everybody's just coming out of the Patriots because of jealousy. Here's the thing. Did the Colts know to look for those uh, altered balls against the Patriots? Of course. Because, again, coaches aren't dumb. But I have no doubt in my mind that if the Seahawks or the Niners thought either team was doctoring the balls, it would have been an issue. Okay? Do you think your Cowboys can go into FedEx or the, the Redskins can come into Texas Stadium and think the Cowboys are, are, are doctoring the balls and they're not going to say anything? Come on. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a red herring of an argument. Yes, the Patriots have been successful, but that's not why people are, are, are on to them. Stop cheating. Stop doing stupid right. stuff. I mean, it's, exactly. it's just that simple. If you stop doing this, nobody will be trying to put an asterisk on what you've achieved. Yep. That's it. And you said um, a perfect example with, with the commissioner, all of his other inconsistencies aside, holding to his stance with this discipline you know, towards the golden boy, towards Tom Brady, not backing down. It's a lot. It was similar to, uh, you know, Popovich with the Spurs. You know, he can he can yell at Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, 
and they take his coaching and have for, you know, a decade plus, however long Pop has been down there, and that means the 12th man on the bench, the Patty Mills, the Matt Bonner, the Boris Diab, they all know that they better get their ducks in a row too because uh, if if he's chewing on the franchise, one of the best power forwards ever, one of the best point guards in the game right now, Tony Parker, then, yo, yo, I can't come in trying to slack and think I'm going to get by with something. Same thing if with them looking at Brady getting this discipline, they can't think they can get by with something either. Right, and it's up there with uh, one of the few times I totally disagree with David Stern, uh, former commissioner of the NBA, when he vetoed the uh, Chris Paul trade uh, from New Orleans to my Lakers yeah. for whatever it was. I made up reasons, but, I mean, and we've talked about on this show how the Lakers have – a pretty good history of fleecing other teams for talent, for lack of a better word. But in this instance, David Stern said no. And you don't get much more glamorous than the Lakers in the NBA. But when you see a commissioner or whoever step up against the, whether it's a star player, if he's a coach, or uh, the commissioner coming down hard on uh, – you know, the star franchise, like I said, it, it, it keeps everybody else towing the line. So that's my – I think I gave more than two cents on the uh, Tom Brady thing, but I've just been – I've been stewing all that. I'm going to segue away from it real quick so we just don't completely go off. You mentioned uh, the Lakers and how they fleeced other teams to talent and consistently keep superstars there. Got to get your thoughts on possibility. I saw this story yesterday. (laughs) Byron Scott might have Kobe playing some power forward for the Lakers this year due to, you know, Russell and Jordan Clarkson and whoever all these young guys are. Kobe will see some time maybe at the small forward, but even the four, the power forward spot, Six seven well, uh, two hundred pounds, Kobe I, Bryant. I, I I have to think that that's going to be a situational thing. There's no way Kobe can. Uh, he's not going to guard Tim Duncan in the post. So I, I think it's going to be a situational thing. But the one thing I like about it is uh, he's putting everything on the table. And this is finally, if it comes to fruition. I think finally the point where the Lakers start moving in a direction away from Kobe. And as much as it, you know, pains me that my dude's getting old and and all that, it's necessary. And he can still be successful playing the small forward or the stretch forward in uh, certain situations because he's got a high basketball IQ. And uh, I welcome the change. You know, Kobe is not the elite shooting guard that he was even three or four years ago. And it's time to make that change. Now, whether or not it actually comes to pass, whether or not he can effectively do it or or wants to do it, that remains to be seen. But I'm actually glad that somebody in a leadership position in L.A. 
is is kind of laying down what the what the next step will be. And it's not going to be Kobe at the shooting guard shooting thirty times a game. That, we've got to move on from that. Um, so I'm hoping that this year Kobe can have one year where he's uh, kind of celebrated for his great career and and it helps the young kids and uh, that he wants to pass the torch. Uh, so we definitely want to we definitely want to see that. I, I get that. Maybe situationally, I mean, if a team's going small, like, I mean, maybe Golden State where, you know, Andre Iguodala's playing the four for him, I, I claim that that makes sense. And I get that the NBA now is not like the NBA of the 90s. I mean, it's, it's, you still got Duncan. I mean, you, you know, Carl Malone and Barkley aren't there. It's not like he's going to get, you know, just beat down in the post guarding those, you know, or Sean Kemp or something like that. I get how moving the four can save his legs. He's not having to chase Steph Curry around, um, you know, shooting guards like that, Cal Corver off of screens. Um, I get how that can save his legs too. But there's, like you said, there's still a Tim Duncan at the four. And Byron Scott talking about elbow, mid post area, even a stretch like Dirk, he could shoot. I mean, that would be trouble. Lamarcus Aldridge, um, I mean, I'm like, I mean, I don't know how how often he can do it. Even when, you know, not everybody plays like Golden State. You got, um, you know, uh, uh, Black Randolph in, in Memphis. You don't have Kobe trying to guard him. So I just don't. I'm not visualizing how often this will take place. Uh, I mean, you play an up and down squad, yeah. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> Do you want yeah, to save his legs on the perimeter, or do you want to? You, you don't want to just throw him down in the post. I mean, it's it's kind of what do you, what do you do? Well, and that's why I think it's going to be situational because you know playing the Grizzlies with uh, Gasol and Randolph that that's fool's gold to put uh, anybody but <laughs> yeah. your bigs down in the post. Uh, you know, even. Uh, if you're, you know, you're playing the Cavs and they've got, well, I, I don't know about Tristan Thompson, but uh, you know, with a team with two bigs, Kobe's, Kobe's not going to be able to to go to the four. But is, is he going to be able to alter his game? And and he was showing flashes of that uh, last year uh, before the injury. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does uh, once the season uh, once the season kicks off. Yeah, it definitely will be. And like you said, he could. And the article there says, Byron Scott says, wherever we put him, he'll compete. You know that as long as he's healthy enough to get out there, I mean, Kobe will compete some type of way. So, yeah, that's that's definitely true, too. So, uh, you know, he loves the challenge. So, it's, it's just going to be interesting. Like you said, it is transition time, and this. This says that more than anything. Yeah, and like I said, definitely, uh, I think the Lakers finally have a plan in place. Uh, but we'll see. And if not, I, I know that your dad will come back on, and we will we will be right on it uh, again. Uh, <laughs> if they don't uh, do what they uh, say they're going to do, so. Um, but, uh, well, Vinny, it's been nice uh, chatting with you, but 
I've got to go and attend to some family things and and everything. But uh, definitely, again, thank you personally for for reaching out and all the folks out there that have done the same. It has really warmed my heart. I appreciate you hopping on for the first hour. Uh, It was fun like it always is. Definitely understand uh, that you got things to attend to and uh, wish everything goes well with that and everybody's thoughts are with you, uh, Mrs. Brown, the little Mrs. Browns, and the original Mr. Brown, and your mom, too. So, uh, certainly, certainly. I I speak so, to everybody. Yeah, we appreciate that. So you have a great night, and uh, thank you all for listening. Yes, sir. Thank you, TV, and we'll uh, holler at you again and hope the rest of the evening goes as smooth as possible. That was Terry Brown hopping on with us for the first hour. He's going to hop off and attend to his, his ailing father, Mr. Brown. Uh, hope everything can go as well as possible. He said his dad is fighting at the outset of the show when he came on. Uh, so definitely keep Terry in your in your thoughts and give him a little tweet or a little message, Brown underscore 80. Uh, is his Twitter and Instagram handle. A lot of y'all already know that from listening uh, to the show or reading his articles and things of that nature. Uh, so give him a little message if you can. And uh, We wish TB all the best as he's dealing with these family matters at this moment. We'll take us a quick break. I uh, tweeted out uh, Emory Hunt will be on at 7.30. So I initially said 7 and 7.30. So send him a message on Twitter. He's going to come on at 7.30, so about 26, 27 minutes from now. Emory will be on um, to talk Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns football. Of course, that's the season opening opponent for our Kentucky Wildcats. So we'll get things from his perspective as well as talk college football, maybe a little pro football with Emory. He's doing a lot of big things uh, in the football world. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're going to catch our breath right now. You're listening to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com.
Welcome back to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Second hour of the show. Had a fun first hour. Glad Terry was able to come on with us. Um, second hour, looking forward to Emory Hunt, former Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns running back. Uh, we'll get the Raging Cajuns perspective of things and, and see how they're preparing to head to Lexington and face Kentucky. We look forward to talking with him in about 20 minutes. Um, the Kobe thing, we talked about him playing some power forward this year, so that is part of the transition as he's at that final stage of his career. We go back to Jamal Murray. We started the show talking about him, of course, being the new basketball recruit, well, the football recruits as well, but the two good games Jamal has for the Canadian national team against Argentina and the United States. Uh, he was just kind of under control uh, for, you know, the whole time he was out there. You know, not not blazing speed where he was just blown by guys, but he got where he wanted on the floor. He could hit the three. He's got the mid-range game as well. Uh, got the floater with either hand. He can get to the rim and take contact and finish with either hand. Um awareness, vision, he made some good passes to set up teammates for easy buckets. Uh, Anthony Bennett, who somehow was miraculously the number one overall pick in the draft a couple of years ago for the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, he is on the Canadian national team. Um, Murray hit him on some nice cuts to the rim for easy dunks. Um, He hit a teammate for a corner three, you know, got into the lane, drew the defense, got a guy spotted up, stretched forward, got spotted up over there in the corner, uh, hit him with the pass for open three. So he's just going to strengthen the backcourt. You already have Briscoe and Euless. You throw Murray back there, uh, Michael Mulder. The backcourt is going to be a strength. And then Alex Porter's coming back, uh, Marcus Lee, the rest of the bigs. Uh, can kind of step up and pull their weight. It's going to be another fun season. I still compare it to it, it, it probably maybe more talented than this team, but the 2011 team that was kind of under the radar when you compare it to the 2010 team uh, with John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins that went to the Elite Eight. The following year, Brandon Knight and company make it to the Final Four. Uh, and you were Nobody really saw that run coming. And, you know, this run with this team coming up, a lot of talent, but they're following the 38-1 squad that went to the Final Four, but this team can still kind of sneak up on people and, whoa, whoa, you know they're going to be good, but, wow, you're still surprised once you see everything come together. And no doubt Jamal Murray will fit in in a big way once he finishes playing internationally uh, and gets to campus later on this summer slash fall. So for those who were up high to antsy, this can quell those fears. This can quell that tension and cause you to stop feeling uneasy after you got a, a load of Mr. Murray. <clears throat> and and Francis Fischilla and Dan Shilburn were just, were just raving about him during the broadcast. And talking about how if you're a Kentucky fan, you should be excited. 
uh, when when Murray gets there. And then he went out on the court and played a lot older than his 18 years uh, on that stage. Uh, not afraid of physical play, not afraid to play with grown men. And this was kind of foreshadowing. Got a little preview of, of what he can do. Uh, of course, everybody can look at highlight tapes and look at, you know, high school tournaments and AAU stuff like that. But he was playing internationally against pros, against grown men, much like last year when we got the foreshadowing with the team was in the Bahamas playing an exhibition schedule against grown men, against pros. So here we are almost a year later, and you get the same kind of little dose, the same little taste, um, not with the whole team, but with Jamal Murray um, being the future, as they kept referring to him, of Canadian basketball. Where, you know, Steve Nash and all the great things he did um, coming from Canada and then his NBA career, and now Jamal Murray is kind of looking to do the same thing, kind of follow in Nash's footsteps. So exciting. Looking forward to seeing him when he does. Uh, make his way down to Lexington uh, after finishing up with the international play. I already talked about my Braves licking wounds against the Oreos. Let's slip up there. Uh, the game will be starting in a little bit. See if they can avoid the sweep. Um, hopefully, at least leave Baltimore with one win. Um, myself, going back to the NBA being a uh, Houston Rockets fan, they uh, made a trade for former North Carolina, former Denver Nugget, Ty Lawson, to kind of bolster their point guard situation. But Ty's had several DUIs and has to go and do some rehab, so it's a, quite a bit of a gamble. It does pay off when he's able to get everything back in order. You pair... Ty Lawson and Patrick Beverly um, to a Rockets team that won 56 games last year, finished the playoffs with Patrick Beverly injured with a wrist injury. He didn't play any of the playoffs at all. The point guard situation was kind of manned by Jason Terry uh, and Pablo Prigioni, who are together about 75 years old, 138, 137. Uh, So you get younger and faster there. The Rockets love to play fast, love to shoot threes, get out in transition. That would seem to fit Lawson's game on paper. Uh, Beverly can still be that pest and, and bother and irritate opposing teams' point guards and make it hard for them to get in their offense. So uh, we'll just see if, if Ty can get his act together and uh, kind of get over these issues with the DUIs as far as that's concerned. So, Definitely needs to for his health and then for his basketball career going forward. So we'll see how that goes for the Rockets. Speaking of the Rockets, too, it's the 20th anniversary of the 1995 championship team. And I was watching Clutch City, the documentary, came out during the playoffs on NBA TV. But I was watching playoff games. I never did flip over and catch the documentary. It, it was well done. Um, it highlighted uh, the, the obstacles that they had to, to encounter, being down 3-1 to the Suns, uh, winning the first title against the Knicks 
in 94, coming back fat and lazy and resting on their laurels in 95, and they struggle to get the sixth seed. Uh, For a while, a lot of people didn't even think they would make the playoffs uh, the following year. They might have been the first defending champ to be sitting home for the playoffs uh, and, and not even get to defend the playoffs. But they got it together. They traded for Clyde Drexler, who was with the Portland Trailblazers, traded Otis Thorpe for Clyde Drexler. Clyde Drexler became Lodge one and played college ball at Houston had come up short in two championship games against NC State, Jim Valvano. We all remember him running and looking for someone to hug the late, great Jim Valvano. Um, as the, the point guard for NC State threw up an air ball that was dunked in by the big man at the buzzer, beating Houston in the title game. Then the next year they lose to Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. So Drexler and Elijah are reunited for a title run. And it's, all the Rockets are skeptical of the trade. You know, Clyde Drexler had been to the finals twice, lost to the Bulls and Pistons, lost to the Pistons in 90, the Bulls in 91. Hall of Famer, one of the 50 greatest in his own self, but yet, when the move was made, even though Houston was struggling, you know, they were a little indignant at it. Kenny Smith and those guys, Vernon Maxwell especially, because Drexel was taking Maxwell's minutes, weren't fans of the trade. You know, we, they had beaten Portland in the playoffs in 94, in the first round. So they're like, why are you bringing in a guy we just beat and knocked out of the playoffs? So they limped around, hovered around 500 got it together in the playoffs and were able to uh, sweep Shaq, Penny Hardaway, and Orlando Magic in the finals for their second title. So it was cool watching that 20th anniversary of those Houston Rockets teams, Mario Ellie, Elijah Wan, Kenny Smith, Brandon Maxwell, all those guys. Um, it, was, it was good watching that. Rudy Tomjanovich, the coach, so they were all able to get together and reminisce, and it was a well-done uh, documentary. I'm a big doc guy, the 30s for 30s. I love watching those. Clutch City one is right there with it. Uh, so it was fun stuff. If you're a Rockets fan, check it out. If you're an NBA fan, check it out, uh, especially in the summertime when we're still waiting for football, um, still waiting for basketball. Baseball is fun. But baseball is it. Baseball, NASCAR, and golf, that's it. This is that last little stretch of summer while we're just trying to inch on through, and pretty soon there'll be preseason football games, and then everything will be rolling. Um, There'll be more stuff to watch. Speaking of the Rockets as well, got to go back and look at Josh Smith, who was on the Rockets for a little bit last year after being bought out of his contract by the Detroit Pistons, he went and signed a uh, a contract with the L.A. Clippers in free agency, and he's going to be making $6.9 million. So it is a bit of a pay cut, but you still get money from the Pistons who paid him to leave, uh, as well as the, the contract, the $1.4 million contract with the Clippers. And he pulled a Latrell Sprewell talking about it's going to be harder to, to live off of that. Uh, it'll be harder for me and my family to make it. And, of course, Latrell Sprewell famously did the same thing more than 20 years ago when he received 
his last contract offer in the NBA from the Minnesota Timberwolves um, and turned it down three years, $21 million, something like that. Excellent money, but he rejected it because he, quote, unquote, had to feed his family. Josh Smith pulled a Latrell Sprewell. So, I mean, good luck with that going forward. Not a good decision. Uh, Decision-making on the court has been suspect anyway. So when Houston had him, they might have got the best out of him uh, because we saw how he kind of burned his bridges with Atlanta and Detroit and now starting off having to survive on $3.9 million now that he's going to be a member of the LA Clippers going forward. So um, we'll see how that plays out as he goes and joins Paul Pierce and DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and the rest of the Clippers. Braves Orioles is in a rain delay, a weather delay. Uh, hopefully they can get that rolling up in Baltimore soon. Uh, the Braves need to get back on the winning track. We hope that definitely happens as well. Got Henry Hunt coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, we once again preview the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns, their game against Kentucky. Look at the rest of their schedule and season going forward. Um, get a little insight as to their personnel and their coach, what they like to do, how they might try to attack the UK. You know, they've played SEC teams before, you know, to start their seasons off, uh, and they'll be doing it again. And, you know, Kentucky's definitely wanting to get off to a fast start because right after that, it's down to Columbia, South Carolina to face the Gamecocks. The Spurs and the Gamecocks jump right into SEC play in week two. Uh, South Carolina be wanting revenge from last year's loss in Commonwealth Stadium, the 45-38 game uh, when Kentucky was able to beat the Gamecocks. Uh, Mark Stoops is 1-1 against the Spurrier. Lost in Columbia in 2013, 35-28. Won in last season, 45-38. So um, two games between the two teams and those two coaches. All even 73-73 when you look at the combined scores of both of those games. So that's that's pretty neat um, when you see how Coach Stoops goes head-to-head with the old ball coach, the head ball coach now. He's not one to be referred to as old since he is a little bit up in years now. He's the head ball coach now. Um, it was fun seeing Leah Steele, daughter of Devin Steele. Of course, we know while she's went through struggling and battling with cancer, she a few days ago called out Riley Curry, daughter of Stephen Curry, because Riley Curry was on Instagram doing the whip and the nay nay, the two dance crazes that are out there now. And Leah called out Riley saying that she could do it better. So it was fun watching those two three year olds uh, battle it out, uh, or Leah saying that she could do it better. Uh, if they have a dance-off, will it get that far or will it not? But it was still funny and cute seeing those two young ladies um, having fun. And definitely good to see Leah have fun. Um, sick as she's been in her young childhood so far. So uh, it was cool seeing that. Know that Kentucky is Cincinnati Reds territory more so, mostly. And Cincinnati was, of course, the site of the All-Star game. And I said it a couple weeks ago 
when Todd Frazier won the Home Run Derby. Um, Rodis Chapman came into the All-Star game uh, and got a couple strikeouts. That will really be the last highlights, meaningful highlights, that you would probably see in Cincinnati for the Reds and Reds fans this season um, because they were 15 games out then. So it was, you know, time to look the next year, time to sell. So they were going to be making some trades, making some moves, uh, and they just moved Johnny Cueto to Kansas City. So he is now a member of the Kansas City Royals, the American League champion Kansas City Royals. So he moves on to finish out August and September on a contender, on the favorites to get back to the World Series out of the American League. The American League has home field advantage uh, since they went and won the All-Star game, played there in Cincinnati. Um, so that was one hole that Kansas City had. As good as they are, they just kind of bolstered and strengthened and reinforced uh, to everyone that, hey, we're not playing. We are really serious about trying to get back and finish what we came up short with last year, losing to the Giants in seven games, um, losing to Madison Bumgarner three times in the World Series. So now they got Johnny Cueto to bolster that rotation, and we'll see if that's enough to get them to the World Series, the Fall Classic, and then finish the deal and win it. We are joined now by our guest, uh, former running back for the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns, does so much now with the media, radio, um, YouTube, when it comes to the game of football. We'll talk about his website, footballgameplan.com. We'll also preview his alma mater game against our Kentucky Wildcats in a little more than a month away. We're talking with Emery Hunt of footballgameplan.com. Emery, you're on Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. Appreciate you coming on with us, sir. How you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Man, it's it's definitely an honor. I I saw a few weeks ago when uh, you followed me on Twitter, and I was honored. I was like, "Wow, wow, this guy's following me." I was like, "This is this is cool." And so, where you, of course, were former running back for Louisiana Louisiana Lafayette, and I just kind of made a mental note of you know with that being season opener for UK, like I'm gonna see if he'd be willing to come on and just kind of kind of preview that as we got a little bit closer to football season. And I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us tonight. Oh, not a problem, man. I always love talking football. Man, and like I said, we we talked about it. Uh, my co-host and I, Terry, had to, to leave a little bit early. You were doing so much, I mean, play-by-play, uh, play, video, media, Football game, footballgameplan.com on Twitter. How do you how do you keep it all? Radio. How do you juggle it all, man? You are nonstop. Oh. Well, <laughs> well, they, they say idle time gets the man in trouble, and I'm always staying busy. Um, you know, because I just again, I just love the game of football, and and anytime I can talk about it, you know, speak about it, be in front of it, I'm always going to be there. And, and good thing about football game plan is that we we cover every the genre of football, so we're all around, whether it be Canada, uh, women's tackle football, high school football, college, 
pro, NFL, and arena. Um, so we're we're all over the place, and you know we're just going to get wrapped up once the season starts. The the fall season starts with college football and the NFL. We'll we'll be we'll be at two to three college games a week. So yeah, I'm all over the place, but it's nothing I wouldn't rather do. And that's that's great, man. Let me first of all just kind of backtrack and just tell listeners a little bit of you know, a little background about yourself as far as you know, high school ball and the recruiting process for you that eventually led you to Louisiana Lafayette. How did that all kind of play out? Well, it's interesting, man. Just to think back, you know, that time is, what, 97 to 99. I was a class of 99 uh, kid. Um, and, you know, you get a bunch of letters from a bunch of schools, but for me, it, it really only came down to a couple. You know, it was Tulane, which was literally, and this is no joke, three blocks away from my high school. And I used to go out there and work out um, right down the street from my high school in New Orleans. I grew up in New Orleans. Um, okay. So it came down to Tulane. Uh, it came down to the University of Iowa. And it also came down to Indiana, quite honestly. Um, those were my three schools. And and the, the funny part was a lot of the guys I played against in high school, guys that were on all 13, they were going to UL. At the time, it was southwestern Louisiana. Um, I'm like, you know, that seems like a, a good spot. I mean, I, I, you know, the coach was really cool, and, and there was Jerry Baldwin. He was a great guy, and he built a great staff over there. And I thought, you know, I want to be some. I want to be a part of something that's going to be great. I thought we were going to have the super team. I thought we were going to be great for four years, uh, we, great individually, but not as a group, you know. But um, sure. just looking at that from a high school kid, I was like, man, this is this would be pretty cool to, to go and be a part of something that I, I was believing in. And I enjoyed my time there. Unfortunately, it was, you know, cut short because of the injury. But I really enjoyed UL um, because of the, the, the guys I was around, the coaching staff that was there. And it was nine times. I mean, just looking back on it, I would say it was the best place for me um, at that point in time in my, in my life. Wow, that is, that is interesting how it all came to be. Now, your style, if you could do a scouting report on yourself, what was your game like then as a running back? Did you have a little wiggle? Were you north and south? Were you good at picking up the blitz? Could you catch out the backfield? Give us give us a scouting report of Emory Hunt, the running back. Well, here's the thing, and I'm a little bit I'm a little bit interesting, you know, going back, uh, looking at myself. It's I was a receiver up until about tenth or eleventh grade. Tenth grade, I tore my ACL. You know, I was about 5'9", 185. I tore my ACL, came back the next season, 5'10", 215. And so I gained 30 pounds, you know, in between those that year. And obviously I couldn't be a 215-pound receiver, so coach moved me to running back. And, and it was fine. I enjoyed it. But it gave me a unique um, skill set because I was able to catch the football better than anyone on the football team. And so now I'm a back that has great receiving skills. I used to line up in the slot. I used to line up out wide. Um, I had more receptions and yards receiving my senior year than our than our starting receivers. Um, so that made it that made myself attractive to, to you know to colleges. Um, but if I had to compare my running style to somebody, it, if you if I let you ask a couple of guys on on UL team. Um, in the coaching staff, you'll hear like three different players. You, you one, 
one you hear um, Edwin James, the other, another guy tell you Ron Dane, another guy tell you um, Sean Green. You know, so it was just, it, it was just a, a, I don't want to say I wasn't the fastest, by no means stretch of the imagination. Uh, I had a little wiggle, um, but I was more of a north-south kind of guy, one cut and then accelerate, but I had great hands. And that was the one great aspect I said about my game that I was really proud of that I could catch the football. Everywhere else, I think I was pretty average. We're joined now by former Louisiana Lafayette running back Emory Hunt. Now, Edgerin James, Ron Dane, that, that's that's a pretty big gamut right there, wouldn't you say? I mean, those two guys. Listen, and if you had, a, and I personally thought I, I was, um, when I was a receiver, I wanted to be Desmond Howard. You know, so I thought I was Desmond Howard okay. catching the football, and I returned punts and stuff like that. Um, but as a running back, I would say I was probably more along the lines of a Sean Green, Maurice Claret type of a guy. Okay. Because okay. you're 5'9", right? 5'9", five, 5'10"? Five, right, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and um, about 215 at the time. But I grew into 225 pounds. So I was a I was a thick guy, um, and I was able to catch the ball real well, and, and I was tough to bring down. I, had, I ran with a lot of power, and um, I still wasn't a good pass protector. I don't think any running back is, and no, one, <laughs> no running back wants to block, period. I'll just tell you that right now. Nobody. Nobody wants to block. Um, but, you know, I was a physical guy, and I just wish I was a little bit faster. I was always amazed at watching, you know, Ike Taylor run because Ike was a running back um, when we, we came in as freshmen. And Ike started, you know, he started out as a tailback, and Ike literally was like Jamal Charles in the backfield. And I'm like, man, this guy is super fast, super quick. Um, why can't I be that fast? You know, <laughs> so we just play different games. But it was um, – it was it was a fun time. I bet, I bet. Now, as far as this year's version of the Raging Cajuns, and of course they're playing Kentucky September the fifth at Commonwealth Stadium in Lexington. Kentucky fans who aren't quite you know up to speed on all the ins and outs of the roster and, and the coach and things like that, what can they kind of look for? Who who's the guys to watch? Uh, on this version of the Raging Cajun squad and what would our offense look like, things of that nature, uh, as we get close to game time here in a few days? Well, you you look at the Cajuns offensively, and the first guy that jumps out is Elijah McGuire. He's a football game plan All-American, um, all-purpose player, and he has legit 4-4 speed, and, and he's been a stud since his freshman season. And when they finally started to give him a full slate of carries, he – instantly rushed over 1,000 yards, over five and a half yards a carry. I think he's up to like seven yards a carry. Um, so he is their big play threat. He's a future NFL player, I believe. And and that's the guy that everyone wants to watch this season as a junior, a true junior. Um, on the flanks to get back, Jamal Robinson, a big-time receiver. He's a physical guy at 6'4", 215. And Al Rao is one of my favorite players to watch in college football. He's a bigger receiver. He's about 5'11", maybe about 215 pounds, 220. But the thing about Al Riles is that he was a former linebacker. So it's interesting to see him go from linebacker to receiver and excel. So I think offensively they'll be fine. They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. That's something you want to keep an eye on. But their offensive line is really good with Michael Quave, uh, the offensive lineman, as the guard. Um, and on defense they they lose two studs 
along that defensive line. Christian Ringo and Justin Hamilton both are going to the NFL, Buffalo Bills and, and Green Bay Packers, respectively. Um, so defense will be a question, uh, but they do have an outstanding nose tackle in Jacoby Briscoe, a guy that's a Miami transfer coming in 6'4", 330. And so would, do they do they like to uh, feed the speed back, or do they like to throw it around the yard a lot uh, on, on offense? What do they kind of they're prefer? Of, are they kind of, they're a little bit okay. of both. Um, I would say they're a balanced offense, but they do spread the field. You'll see a lot of, you know, swing, flat, slant routes with the occasional deep uh, shot down the field. They run their inside zone. You may see some speed sweep. It'll be interesting to see who's the second back this year to spell McGuire as he worked in tandem last year with Alonzo Harris, the big power guy, and then they flip-flopped with McGuire, the speed guy. So it'll be interesting to see which guy comes in as the, the change of pace for McGuire who's going to get the start of carries. But they, they spread the field. They love the short, quick passing game. They lull you to sleep. Then they take that shot deep down the field. So that is that is definitely uh... – Interesting, and they're no stranger to opening up, you know, playing SEC teams either. They, they've done this several times throughout the years, right? And the good part about what the Cajuns have done, um, they've slowly become the team that no one wants to play. You know, when I was there, we was everybody's homecoming, you know. So, and now you see the Cajuns having a ton of success. Teams don't necessarily want to play them, and they will seek out the tougher opponents. And I like the way they've scheduled. They scheduled tough teams early on, some mid-major teams. You know, I, I think they have Akron on the schedule this year, which is a good matchup for, for the Cajuns, but a good test in Kentucky. Last year was Ole Miss, you know, which was a good test. Um, Oklahoma State the year before. So they have no problem going and playing big schools, and I like the fact that they're challenging the SEC because that only makes you better uh, moving forward as you jump in the conference. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. and, and defensively, just kind of an overview uh, are they aggressive attacking, a lot of heavy blitzing, or, or what are the strengths? Uh, is it the pass rush? Is it the secondary for them this coming season? Well, last year it was the pass rush. They had two studs along the defensive line in Christian Ringo and Justin Hamilton. Uh, with those two guys gone, and the Cajuns run a 3-4, 3-3-5 type look. So the strength I thought last year was at the defensive line level, and, and it made everyone else better. Now, they're going to be a little bit younger in the secondary, so you want wonder about the corners, you wonder about their ability along the defensive line in that 3-4, 3-3-5, because if you can't get that interior pressure like they were getting and clogging up those gaps, those linebackers are going to struggle. And they have good linebackers. So I think what you'll see early on in the season, and we're talking specifically for this game, they're going to be a little bit hesitant, not hesitant in the, in the sense that they don't want to pressure, but they're going to try to wait and see what they have uh, against live competition before they tinker and adjust to what they're going to do moving forward. So early on, you may see base and basic defense, and then later on in the season, you'll see them turn up and turn it up a notch as far as pressure is concerned. And this year, uh, Kentucky is a team that will, will probably lean <clears throat> more on the offense. They lost uh, two big-time pass rushers in, in uh, Bud Dupree and Darius Smith and trying to fill those spots, they should be able to put up a lot of points, but we'll need to until the defense kind of comes along and, and guys kind of step up and fill those roles. So um, that's kind of what 
the Raging Cajuns will be facing, um, facing a team that should be explosive offensively and, and waiting for the defense to, to kind of mold in jail and, and see what it's made of come September 5th. I mean, when you look at Kentucky, I like their battery. You know, Melvin Lewis at nose tackle, Josh Forrest at, at Mike Backer, and A.J. Stamps. So they're strong down the middle of the defense, which is what you want to be. Now, like you mentioned, they lost those pass rushers, so everywhere else you're going to have some questions. Um, you know, and, and I think both Kentucky and the Cajuns are similar in, in what they try to do to a defense and what they try to do to an offense. And you're right, the offense will have to carry just until they find some guys that can step up to the plate. Um, and you look at Patrick Towles, the quarterback, um, I, I think he has a little bit of NFL potential. I, I like what I saw last year and um, watched some games of him over the course of the summer, the Florida game in particular. He had some he had some moments in that game where you could say, okay, they can move the football in the passing game. He can step up and raise his level of play. Now you want to see the rest of the offense get up to speed, that offensive line, um, you know, come, come ready to play this year. And I just think overall, one thing for Kentucky, they were a pretty good team last year, I thought. They just kept giving up the big play, so they were in a lot of shootouts. Now, if they learn how to finish those games, this could be a dangerous team in the SEC East. Yeah, if, if the potential is there, um, it's a home-heavy schedule that helps. Um, a little more production out of tight end would also help too to to ease some of that pressure on toes to have that security blanket. Um, if the receivers take a step, you know, third down conversions, keeping drives going, that kind of thing, um, they have the potential to do that. So if it if it all comes together, depth at tight end is a little bit of a question, um, but if you can get them there and healthy, the the talent upgrade should be a little bit better than what was there last year. But it's just you know, you don't. You, everybody has these questions until you get some games under your belt, and you definitely know how that is. Right, and, and that's the thing. You won't know until the bullets are live. So I, I, I'm willing to bet this first quarter of the the game between these two squads will be a low-scoring, close game, and you just wonder, you know, wh- what side catches fire in the second throughout the course of the game, in the second quarter throughout the quarter. Did you have any uh, – uh, predictions on this, predictions with your heart, predictions with your head, or you still kind of compiling data? Yeah. Or it, it's, I'm still compiling. I still got a lot of film to watch. I haven't even started uh, breaking down these college teams yet. Um, so it's tough to say where the advantages are right now and, and tough to say who can, what they can attack and what they where they should go and attack. I, I'll know that probably by – I won't know that probably for another month. So – when when I do put out a prediction for this game and um we on week one in week one I'm sorry, it's gonna be well well um uh researched and and I'm, uh, it, trust me, 'cause I, I always try to, to do one Cajun game, uh, the earliest game, um and so this one will be the, the one I wanna choose because I think this is an intriguing matchup in week one. Both teams are similar. But best believe, best believe when this game comes out, this preview comes out. You're going to see a well-versed preview, a well-detailed uh, video um, profiling two teams, I think, that can make serious runs in their conference this year. Absolutely. And uh, last season, the uh, the Cajuns, it was, it was a bowl, bowl season. They went and won the, uh, the, the R&L Carriers Bowl. 
over Nevada, 16-3. So they're coming in with some momentum uh, when you finish up with Kentucky and moving on with the rest of the schedule. How do you like the way it sets up for Louisiana Lafayette? Well, I do like their schedule. And I look at how they have it set up. You know, I like the game against Akron. Um, after Kentucky, they have Northwestern State. And though, even though they're FCS school, I love those matchups because there's a lot of rivalries that are built in, you know, between McNeese and Northwestern State, Nickel State, um, those type of programs. So I like the Northwestern State game. Um, Akron is going to be a really tough matchup. They have a really good team this year, and the LaTeX game is going to be crucial uh, for Louisiana. That game is a, a big game in the state because those two are, are hated rivals, uh, and they also have Arkansas State, which is – slowly become a big rivalry game, and UL for homecoming, which is another big game in the state. So I like the way the schedule sets up. Um, if they can come out of the first three games with a 2-1 and one record or uh, ideally 3-0, and oh, I think by the, by the time they get to La Tech, uh, they're going to be hit, hitting on all cylinders. And I do like the bye week that they have after Northwestern State. That's going to be a crucial bye week for them, uh, getting prepped for Akron and Louisiana Tech and a tough Texas State team. And they they have their both buys early. After Texas State, they get the second one, and then, you know, it's kind of, you know, the gauntlet. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight, starting with Arkansas State, and then you're going from October 20th to December 5th. Do you wish that second one may, maybe was a couple of weeks on down the line, or you think they'll be ready just to handle the weekend, week out, starting in middle of October? I think they'll be ready to handle the week in, week out, because you don't want to give a team a break this late. You, you want your break to come prior to bowl game season, um, or you want it earlier in the season. You know, I think where they have their, their buys set up, it's perfectly matched. Um, they have a four-game stretch, Akron, La Tech, Texas State, Arkansas State, then they have a bye, then they have UL Monroe, Georgia State, South Alabama, which would be a really good game, and New Mexico State and App State, which is going to be a big game because App State looks really strong this year. So I think the way they have that buy set up, it prepares them for, you know, it's three phases of their season. And I think they're perfectly placed to where they can have some success. And you kind of touched on what I was going to ask you. Growing up in New Orleans and then you move up north to Lafayette to go to college, um, I mean, compared to where New Orleans is located, who is the Raging Cajuns' number one rival? I mean, there's a lot of Louisiana schools down there. Who's the one, maybe it's changed from when you played, maybe it's still the same, the one that you circle, if you have to pick a rival among rivals, who is that team for Louisiana Lafayette? It's UL Monroe, and that that's the biggest rival you have, UL Monroe, and then a close second, maybe one B, would be Louisiana Tech. Um, it, it was it used to be a huge rival between McNeese State before they dropped out to FCS. Uh, back when McNeese was was you know one Division One A, um, that was a huge rival because those schools are only forty five minutes apart. Uh, but now it has become UL Monroe and also La Tech. Those, those two teams, the La Tech game. It, it gets real nasty. That's a big-time rival, but it's a close second uh, behind UL Monroe. Now, conversely, on the flip side, does UL Monroe look at you all as 
are you their number one rival or is Louisiana Tech y'all's number one? Who is the biggest target? Who puts what team puts the biggest bullseye on Louisiana Lafayette's back from their perspective? You, I, I would say UL Monroe. Uh, you would think it would be okay. Lafayette. They're uh, you know up north, both up north schools, um, but it will be it will be UL uh, Louisiana Lafayette because that's the one team that UL Monroe circles on their schedule. We have to win this game. You know, the bragging rights in the state, um, little things that go on back and forth, it becomes, it becomes you know, a, a, a sibling rivalry. Um, and this is the only sport, you know, because in baseball, our biggest rival, and I say our as far as the University of Louisiana, would be uh, LSU. That's the biggest right. rival because Louisiana's baseball team is outstanding and LSU's baseball team is outstanding. Um, basketball, I would say it becomes La Tech. Yeah, that that's another big rivalry in the basketball arena. That is interesting. It used to be, it used to be, it used to be University of New Orleans uh, before they moved to the South in conference. But when they were in the Sun Belt, the University of New Orleans and Louisiana's basketball rivalry was intense. That is interesting. Just getting the perspective of of all the in-state dynamics. It's always cool to find out how each little state. Is set up in that regard. I have to ask you because I mean you you are all over football anyway. The the Tom Brady stuff is dominating. I got to get your thoughts on you know his suspension being upheld and just kind of your thoughts on this whole story, how it's played out over these months. I, I am amazed that this story has this much traction for the 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 you know the crime that was committed. And, you know I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm surprised it has gone on a full NFL season, you know, let's say from the playoffs to the draft, entire all season, and now getting ready to start a new season talking about deflated football, which had no impact on the game. I just find this utterly amazing. And it's a great job by the NFL squeezing out a storyline, um, standing, standing in the media, standing in the news, standing in the spotlight, for 12 months. This is amazing to me. I mean, we're talking about deflated football here. So, do you think it was I, I a mean, you think it was an extension of trying to overcorrect for destroying evidence and slapping the wrist for the Spygate since we're talking about the same team with a, a little track record of just crossing the line too many times? Do you think that's what happened? I think it's more along the lines of, you know, Roger Goodell is a guy, and like most people, they don't like to be lied to. No one likes to be lied to. So if you did something, you know, don't throw a stone and hide your hand. If you did something, own up to it, take your medicine, and then and move on. It's the fact that you try to lie and hide and, and uh, deceive, of course someone is going to go extra hard on you or go the extra mile to make sure you realize, you you know, you, you effed up to, you know, put in less, you know, less of a term. Um, but I think that's the difference. That, that's what's going on right now is the fact that um, if Tom Brady and the Patriots would have been up front and told the truth early on, none of this would have been as big of a story as it is now. If they would have just came out and said, yeah, we did it, we we, we know that's wrong, blah, 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 probably would have got a gain and a fine. And a fine to a billionaire is like, you know, taking somebody out to lunch. So Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking. And this, even with this being upheld, and the you know, a couple million dollars he'll lose 
I mean, you know, him and Giselle and the kids, I mean, that's in the bottom of their couch, you know, while he's sitting at home. He'll find that money he's losing <laughs> that he's not going to make from the suspension. So, yeah, still, financially, there's no way to ever impact him to where he's going to be hurting in any kind of way. Um, I mean, one thing one thing I would have did if it were me and I was Roger Goodell, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have let the Patriots play their season out. It would have been good. By the time the playoffs came, banned from the playoffs. That would affect that, – that's how huh. you affect a team that, that constantly cheats like this. You don't allow them to compete for a championship. Yeah, you can play your season. I'll play, play. Matter of fact, go undefeated. Guess who's not going to the playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> That will open some eyes, and like, and that's that's like uh, the bench is the coach's best friend and motivator from that situation. You know, playing time, that's what gets people's attention. That would do it as far as you know hitting the organization. That would <laughs> that would impact them. Yep, that's the one way. Because otherwise, every other time they've gotten caught, and they they got punished, and they still do something else. So obviously that line of punishment isn't working. Here's a new way to uh, to, to hit them where they hurt. To hit them where it hurts. Absolutely. I'm on footballgameplan.com. I see uh, the previews, the NFL, uh, Chicago, Pittsburgh. I'm fixing to go and see uh, what you got about my Dallas Cowboys. I have to check that out when the show is over with. What's the next project that is about to be scratched off your list on footballgameplan.com right now, Emery. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because August 18th, we have two new book projects coming out, and these are awesome. Um, one is called Football, A Love Story, and the other is called What Did Football Teach Me? Now, Football, A Love Story, we and for both books, we interviewed over 100 current coaches, players, executives, scouts, uh, entertainers, a lot of people that have played the game of football and that are still involved in the game of football, and we've asked them the questions of, you know, what did football teach you? What do you love about the game and why do you stay so involved in the game? And we've gotten some great stories. We've interviewed guys like Mike Singletary, Howard Mudd, Dino Baber, wow. uh, Brett Phillipa. You know, we've got a, a host of guys uh, that signed up for this project, and we're excited about it. We're excited about it. I look at the books. Um, today, they came in today, and, and everyone that participated in the interview are receiving their books by the end of the week. And so we are all excited about it, excited about it. I think this is going to be one of those those game-changing type projects for us, and we, we, we were just happy to be a part of it. The idea came upon us um, in December, and we started working on this in January. We, we even got coaches from the NFL, CFL, uh, over in, in Europe, guys that coach American football in Europe. We actually interviewed Jen Welter, who is now the first woman coach in the NFL wow. in, interning with the Cardinals. Yep, she's a part of the book. Um, we we got high school coaches, uh, women's tackle football players as well. Uh, so we, we interviewed the whole gambit. And I, I, I tell you what, this book, these two books are going to be awesome. The stories they, they've told in these books are great. Man, that is great. Congratulations on seeing all that hard work coming to fruition and, and all the people you talk to and how it's all coming together, man. Congratulations on the success of that. Um, footballgameplan.com is the website, Plan on Twitter, YouTube, um, Facebook, all over social media. 
all over every form and facet of football. Uh, appreciate you coming on, Henry. And if I get to see you in Lexington, it'd be cool to meet you. If if I don't make it, I hope you have safe travels uh, when the Raging Cajuns come to Commonwealth to take on UK in September. I appreciate that. And, and you know, while we do the analyze and stuff, you know, at some point during the game, I will have to take my analyst hat off and become a fan and hope uh, the Cajuns take care of business out there in Lexington. But definitely I will love to sit down and talk ball with you if I, if I ever – I'm down there in uh, Lexington. The same way if you ever ever up here in Jersey, New York City area, just hit me up. Let me know. I definitely will. We'll have to be on you know the opposite side of the line for the season opener, but that's what makes it fun. Uh, you know, we both put the fan hat on and and you know draw that line between us for those four quarters while the Raging Cages and Wildcats play. But after that, it's all good. And uh, it'd be definitely cool if I'm up in the Big Apple. I'll definitely hit you up. Same thing if you're in Lexington, man. I appreciate that, man. Have a good one. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, honored to have you on, Emery. And we'll have to get you on again sometime down throughout the season. That'll work. Take care. That was Emery Hunt. That's ball game plan on Twitter former running back for the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. Uh, enjoyed having him on to kind of preview his alma mater against our Kentucky Wildcats because they'll be knocking heads on September the 5th in the new Commonwealth Stadium. So the renovations are continuing. Um, finish up a little on into the season, but it's definitely looking nice. It's coming along. Some of the rain, weather throughout the summer slowed things down. Uh, but it's going to be fun that first time you step into Commonwealth uh, and see everything, uh, the renovations and all the work that went into that as well. The podcast for this show will be up in just a few minutes. Uh, we go past 8 o'clock. Anything that goes past 8, of course, will be on the podcast, or you can call and stay on the line and listen. Those are the two ways uh, to hop on and do that. But we appreciate Emory Hunt for hopping on with us giving us that perspective, giving us a little touch of what we'll see from the Raging Cajuns when they're on the field, guys to watch. That's what I kind of wanted, uh, having had a chance to just pour over their roster with the guys that kind of stand out. You can uh, definitely check that out and definitely want to keep our eyes out for them. So appreciate Emory coming on. Uh, appreciate Terry coming on. Uh, for the first hour, once again, keep him uh, in your thoughts. Uh, think about Mr. Brown as well. Uh, we look forward to everybody hopping back on uh, this time next week to listen to the show as well. Uh, in closing, got to give big-time congrats to the four MLB Hall of Famers uh, that were just inducted there in Cooperstown. I mean, it's, it's, the big four was a big list. The big unit, Randy Johnson. So many years with the uh, Seattle Mariners. Started out as a member of the Montreal Expos. Of course, you remember, Terry, before dropping baseball together was an Expos fan. Uh, And think about the Expos. I mean, two of the four guys that went to the Hall of Fame called Montreal home for just a little bit. Uh, Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez both played in Montreal. Of course, my guy John Smoltz for the Braves went into the Hall of Fame. Um, 200 wins, 100 saves. 
pitched as a starter and as a closer. Craig Biggio uh, from the Houston Rockets, gritty second baseman who played in Houston for years. All four of those guys, congratulations to them. But just look at the Expos back in the day Uh-oh. and the names that went through there. Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, Moises Alou, Andreas Galarraga, Larry Walker, uh, Marquise Grissom, who went on to be a member of that 95 Braves team that won the World Series over the Cleveland Indians. Gary Carter, if you want to go way back, way back, Gary Carter played for Montreal, Tim Raines. They never were able to kind of keep a lot of guys. They moved on and, you know, went on to different teams. But Montreal was loaded. Delano DeShield, um, and I'm forgetting guys right now, but they had players on top of players up there that you just kind of forget uh, they were up there. Uh, I mentioned Andres Galarraga, a big cat. Uh, Larry Walker went on to Colorado. Galarraga played for the Braves for a little bit and the Rockies. In 94, when you feel bad for them, they would have won in at least the Braves were not going to catch them. I'm a Braves fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. The division was Montreal to lose, and the baseball strike just kind of ripped it away from them, which was a shame. Um, It was understandable that a lot of Expos fans just were done with even being fans, especially after they moved and didn't have the franchise in Montreal anymore, and now they've ultimately became the Washington Nationals. Um, But, I mean, a lot of talent came through there. Uh, Philippe Lou, the manager there, uh, they had a squad back there in 94, and you you had to give them credit. It's a shame they weren't able to get to the playoffs and and see how far they could have gone. That's our show for tonight. Appreciate everybody uh, listening, tuning in. Definitely appreciate it. Appreciate Terry once again. Keep Terry on your mind. Original Mr. Brown, uh, Terry's dad as well. As his health is not good right now. Uh, appreciate Terry being able to come on the show and give some insight uh, and vent about Tom Brady. We're definitely not going to hurt the last of the Tom Brady stuff. It will become nauseating again real soon uh, as it will continue to drag out. Uh, thanks to Emory Hunt, former Louisiana Lafayette running back, for hopping on the show. Definitely appreciate him giving his insight. Check out footballgameplan.com. He's doing big things there, and big things will continue to come in the future. I appreciate everybody listening. Look forward to hearing next Wednesday. Take care. Be safe. Cat Talk with Ben and Terry, the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Have a good evening, everybody. Good night. <laughs>